Hey everyone, welcome back to the Potter's House, the podcast where we discuss how biblical topics, church life, and current events impact our everyday lives. My name is Marcus Ionescu and I'm your host, and today is part two of the series that we started last week, the Meekness of Wisdom series that we kicked off last week. And uh, for those of you who have not listened to that episode yet, I do recommend um, going back and listening to that episode before this one. I understand it was a little long, and I will do my best to be as efficient as possible with this episode. Um, however, there is a lot of content, so uh, bear with me. Um, but I'm excited. I'm excited to continue on this uh trek on this journey through what is biblical wisdom versus what is man's wisdom, uh, the counterfeit wisdom that this world has to offer that it is not that is not sufficient and that is not sustaining and is not beneficial for our spiritual lives. So um, we'll get into the episode real quick. I do want to make a couple of announcements before, uh, again, quickly, just so we can kind of jump in right away, get through it as fast as we can. So first and foremost, as many of you know, you can follow us for any and all updates on our Instagram account, which is at the Potter's House. Um, literally anything that happens, anything noteworthy, will first announced be will will first be announced through the Instagram account on uh, at the Potter's House, as I mentioned earlier. So uh, next, we have streaming platforms. We're on multiple platforms, uh, like most podcasts. Spotify and Apple Podcasts are the most prominent and most streamed uh, platforms that we have. And uh, if you have Apple Podcasts, if you have an iPhone, go to that purple icon, the podcast app, uh, click on it, find the Potter's House, uh, click follow or subscribe, I'm not sure which one it says, scroll down, tap, tap the stars and leave a written review because it really helps with the exposure of the show. And uh, recently, uh, as I mentioned earlier in the previous episodes, Spotify just added a feature where you can leave a five-star uh, rating as well. So even if you did it for Apple Podcasts and you also have Spotify, try to do that as well just because it really helps with everything. And I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for doing that. Uh, you're the best. So that's it for now for the announcements. Uh, anything else that comes up, I will try to uh, say it on here as soon as I can, as soon as I know what's going on. But uh, thank you guys for being patient and uh, thank you for tuning in. So uh, as I said, we're in part two of the Meekness of Wisdom series, and I just want to recap last week a little bit. Um, last week was part one, and uh, in this series, in this Meekness of Wisdom series, uh, based out of James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, what we're doing is that uh, each week we're going through different contrasts that we see between God-given wisdom and m- this quote-unquote man-made wisdom. So... Last week, it was the contrast in origins, right? Where, what is the origin of our wisdom? So it was, it was a little more introspective. We had to take a, a look back on ourselves. We had to examine our own hearts and our own minds and, and, and what, what we were doing and where the, where the root of our wisdom was. So we talked about uh, three different types of worldly wisdom that uh, we can fall into as a trap and, and each one gets progressively worse. So first we had the literally the the earthly wisdom the worldly wisdom next we had the unspiritual wisdom or the unspiritual source and then lastly we had the demonic source so this is comes straight out of the passage in james chapter 3 and uh as you can see if you for those of you who listened last week it gets progressively worse uh the further down the three that you go so that was last week the origins we know that 
the origin has to come from God. It has to come from the Holy Spirit. It cannot come from what the world has to offer. It cannot come from uh, anything else that is apart from God because anything else that is that is apart from God is wicked. It is selfish. Uh, it has self, self ambitions, as, as this passage talks about, and it is, it is not profitable or beneficial for our spiritual lives. And we will see that uh, not only today, but also next week. So, as I said, last week was contrast and origins. It was introspective. This week is a little more practical, which is nice. Um, it's it's a little more bullet point-ish, and uh, we're going to go through a, a, lot, a lot of different things very quickly. So I'm going to try to make it as interesting as I possibly can. Uh, but last week, I, like I said, contrast and origins, it's introspective. This week, it is practical, and it's contrast in operations. Now, what does that mean, contrast in operations? Basically, you have some sort of mechanism, like a like a mechanic, I don't know, uh, part or contraption or, or, or something, right? And the way that it operates is solely based on how it is designed and how it's coded, right? So, so the way that we operate is, is based on our design and how we're coded and how, how our hearts are, right? If we are changed individuals, if we're transformed and our minds are renewed, then we operate in the way that God calls us to in the Christ-like way. If we're not, if we're still conformed to this world, then we're going to operate in the way that the world uh, molds us and um, influences us. So basically what we're going to understand, we're going to kind of bounce off last week, understand that um, there are two different types of wisdoms and understand that, that one of them is very dangerous, but the practical and easy way of, of catching ourselves from going too far down the line is to see the the literal actions that we're doing. Like, what am I thinking? What am I feeling? How am I treating people? And that's what we're going to do today. So um, last week, I was I should have mentioned this last week, but I, I like to do like a little of an analogy for each of these episodes. So last week was more so the parable of the sower, the parable of the four different types of uh, soils. Uh, if you guys remember, there are four different types. We have the we have the impenetrable soil, which is that that the basically the path, right? People would walk on that path, and it'd be so hard from the from the compression of, of people walking on it. Um, the the seed cannot penetrate the the surface of the soil. So there was that. There was also the um, the shallow rocky soil, which would spring up the plant very quickly, but the roots would not go deep enough. Uh, the third one was the soil that was typically okay. I had the roots. However, there was a lot of brush, bushes, and thorns that suffocated the plant. And then last but not least, the fourth soil was the good soil. So basically, it matters what soil we are. And, and, that, and the soil is representative of us, right? The, the seed is, is, the, is the gospel, the sower. In that particular uh, context, in that particular um, parable was, was Christ because he was, he was talking about it. Um, and then basically it's saying that the, the origin is very important. Like who we are, are we, are we ready to receive this? Uh, is there, are there, is there sin in our life that we need to get rid of? Like with the thorns and everything, um, that's how that applies to this one. Now, the analogy I want to use for this episode, which is the, um, the contrast in operations is based out of, uh, Matthew 7, 15 through 20. And this has to, obviously it deals with uh, good bearing good fruit, right? A good tree bears good fruit. And I do want to read this uh, real, real quick before we get started. Um, verse 15 in Matthew 7 says, 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So today, the goal is to not only recognize other people, but more importantly, look at ourselves and recognize ourselves uh, based on the good and or bad fruit that we produce. And um, I know this passage that we just read is a little more reflective on the entirety, like the comprehensive whole of our spiritual lives. But today I want to talk about the fruit or the operatives that we produce um, if we are, if our foundation is on man's wisdom versus if our foundation comes from uh, God's wisdom. So today's going to be about wisdom. And what I mean by that is that, um, for example, one, a bad fruit is lust, right? I'm not going to talk about lust today because it, it does not come from, from the false wisdom that we have for man. But th these bad fruits that I'm going to mention in just one second here uh, are based, it's, it's a direct correlation from having a false man-made wisdom rather than uh, leaning on God's understanding and having wisdom that comes from the Holy Spirit. So we're going to jump right into it uh, just because we're already at 10 minutes again. Wow, these 10-minute intros are crazy. Um, but I do want to read the passage uh, from James chapter 3 that we're going to relate to today. And uh, let's do James 3. It's going to be starting from verse 13. So James 3, 13 says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Now let's jump to verse 17. Verse 17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So tonight I'm going to have uh, two different lists. The first list is going to be the, uh, the evidences of false wisdom, and then we're going to go to the evidences of the godly wisdom. But Let's start things off. I'm going to list them out, and we're going to talk about each one, um, hopefully briefly. Uh, so evidences of false wisdom. Based off this particular passage, the first one that we have to talk about is envy. Now, envy is defined as a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. Uh, a few scriptures that we can read really quick here about envy. Uh, Proverbs 14.30 says, a tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. So we see the, de the destructive factor here uh, with envy. And then 1 Corinthians 13.4, we see uh, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy. So we can see how destructive this can be. And um, like I said, this series, this episode is directed towards uh, my targeted audience. And my targeted audience is basically the people that I know who are listening, people who are in the church, people who have been serving for quite some time, who think they have a relationship, a strong relationship with the Lord, but maybe they're dealing with some issues. Maybe they're having conflicts. Maybe they're thinking of themselves higher than they ought to. And um, if you look back and think, maybe 
there have been times in ministry where you've felt envious. Maybe there is a time in your family where you were envious of a sibling or uh, of an extended family member or whatever it could be, or, or, or of a classmate or of a coworker. It's, it's a feeling that we feel all the time, and, and uh, we have to be understanding that for, we, for us as Christians, we cannot let this rule our lives. This cannot reign in our lives. Um, envy causes us to compete with one another in ministry. Envy causes us to inflate our ego. And um, sometimes envy, and unfortunately, and this happens a lot, especially in ministry and within the church, uh, within the church borders and boundaries, it's under the guise of spiritual zeal, right? So a lot of people, they'll pretend that they're super zealous for the Lord and that they care so much and they want to do all these things. But at the end of the day, they're just competing with the, the next man up. They're making sure that they don't lose that position that they have. And the Pharisees did this a, a lot too. So one question you have to ask yourself if you've ever experienced this um, this type of envy is, is your zeal, is our zeal for the Lord spiritual or is it carnal, right? Is our zeal based on the fact that we are called to go out into the world to preach the gospel and make disciples, not for our glory, for, but for God's glory? Or is our zeal carnal where we want to gain from this world, we want a position, we want respect, we want possessions maybe, we want a legacy instead of making uh, giving god the glory in, in everything that we do so that's uh that's something that we really need to take seriously we need to really think about because it can be really detrimental not only not only to our walk but to our ministry to the people around us to our church family essentially so is that something that we're struggling with uh does envy motivate us to serve are you serving in your ministry because um and i'll give you an example if let's say you're you're on a worship team and uh, let's say you're the drummer, right? Let's say you're the drummer on a worship team. Uh, actually, no, let's say you're a singer, right? Let's say you're a singer and you're competing with this, you're a girl and you're competing with this other girl who's also a singer on the worship team and you guys alternate all the time. And at the back of your mind, you think you're a better singer than she is. And then there is an impression from her that she thinks you're, she's better than you. And then you're constantly going every single week saying yes to every opportunity to serve just so that she doesn't get put more than you on stage, right? So I know that's kind of a stretch for some of you guys who can't relate, but basically, are you envious of someone else and are you serving just so you kind of stick in one or, or kind of get in their way or to promote yourself? And um, it's funny because it happens a lot and we don't realize that it, realize that it's happening. It happens a lot in our churches and we don't even see it. And we ask ourselves, like, God, why, are, why am I going through all this? Why am I? Why are these people so mean to me? Why is everything going on? But we have to understand that there is a root to every problem, and we have to address that root. So envy can be one of those operatives. It can be one of the operations. It can be one of the bad fruits that we have from false wisdom. So envy is one of them. Next, we have strife. And strife is defined as angry or bitter dis disagreement over fundamental issues, uh, conflict, basically. Now, conflict is good in, in some contexts. It can be bad in other contexts, but uh, 2 Timothy 2, 23 through 25 says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. 
God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So we know that uh, first and seven, first and second Timothy are the pastoral epistles, right? Where we have Apostle Paul writing to Timothy who is residing in Ephesus. And Timothy is this young leader, this young pastor, if you want to call him. And Paul is basically teaching him how to address uh, the congregation, how to protect the flock over there, the church over there. And it's important to, to recognize that we, we cannot jump into ignorant controversies, into pointless quarrels. Yes, we can have conflicts. Yes, we can address them. It's best to address them as soon as we can. But if if something holds no meaning, if, it, if, if it's not that important, why are we why are we handling it? Why are we letting it bother us? Why are, why are we letting it uh, hold us down? Uh, Proverbs tells us that strife is bred from hatred, and it's bred from a dishonest man, a man of wrath, a greedy man, a hot-tempered person. So basically, strife comes from all these bad descriptions, right? You, Someone who hates, someone who's dishonest, someone who has wrath, who has greed, hot-tempered, it's, it's never associated with, with anything good in, in, in the Bible. So strife is not, not good, shouldn't be something that we should be practicing. And uh, it's funny because uh, in this passage, because we know that the New Testament was written in, in the Greek, but the Greeks used this word for strife to describe the politicians of the time, of that time of the ancient world 2,000 years ago, who were soliciting votes for their campaign, who were basically canvassing votes for their campaign. So, I mean, that already paints a picture in itself. We have, imagine a, a politician going door to door, knocking, trying to get votes. I mean, it's it's the same kind of uh, connotation. It's the same background. It's the same attitude behind it. So um, that's, that's something that should not be <laughs> on our checklist. And unfortunately, this spirit of self of self-seeking essentially only creates rivalry and division in the church. So if you're going to jump into these pointless quarrels, if you're going to just stir up drama just because that's your personality, just because there's nothing interesting in your life, then um, you're going to create rivalries, first of all, and you're going to divide people. You're going to divide your youth. You're going to divide families. You're going to divide committees. I don't know, whatever it can be. It's not helpful, and we need to stay away from it. So stay away from strife. If you've catch, if you caught yourself practicing any of these things, uh, regardless of the context, make sure, first and foremost, we address the issues that we have with other individuals. We ask for forgiveness. We repent before the Lord, and we change the way that we uh, have been living. So envy, strife. Next, we have boasting. And I'm trying to going. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to go through these pretty quick, just because uh, we we have quite a few. So the next is boasting, and boasting is defined as excessively proud and self-satisfied talk about one's achievements, possessions, or abilities. Uh, God's word says, uh, James four sixteen, as it is, you boast in your in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Second Corinthians eleven thirty says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. Now, um, we understand that false wisdom, and we see this in James 4, false wisdom boasts in itself, but true wisdom gives glory to God. Um, So boasting is an interesting thing. Obviously, I'm not referring to, again, like I said, targeted audience. I'm not referring to those guys who are showing off their cars and boasting about their muscles or those corporate people who are boasting about their salaries 
or I don't you name it, right? I'm not talking about people who are in the world. I'm talking about people who think that they're healthily living and thriving in the church where they could be a cancer to the people around them. And the boasting that I'm talking about is um, basically a struggle that I have to deal with all the time. Someone who's always up at the front, someone who uh, preaches the word of God, someone who has this ministry where I get to talk through this uh, platform, people who are on stage who are at the front, right? And a lot of times we, we struggle with this because um, the enemy tries to put these lies in our minds or is trying to deceive us to, into thinking that, oh, we deserved all of this. Like, oh, this is all because of me, right? Uh, the success of my church, the success of this ministry is because of me, right? Because I'm holding this all together, where in reality, that's not the case. It's God using the individual by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The whole, without the Holy Spirit, nothing's going to be done. It's not going to be effective. God is using this individual to hold things together, to, to, to work for the greater good, to influence the lives of the people around them. And it's it's not us who should be taking the glory. It's, it's us giving God the glory. So uh, for those of you out there who have ever done something, I guess, public for the Lord, and, and a lot of people recognized it, be careful. It's... It doesn't go away. Um, it's it's gonna stay with you. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not at the end of my life yet. Uh, I'm not old enough yet, but I'm I'm sure it's gonna stay with us for the rest of our lives here on Earth. And every single day, we have to just take captive those thoughts that are gonna lead us to this boasting. Right? We cannot boast in ourselves. We have to understand that we are stewards of what God has given us, and we have to be good stewards. We have to use it for what God has called us to use use these gifts for, these talents for. And, and at the end of the day, we cannot take credit for obtaining any of these things because it's, it is not ours to begin with. It is all from God. So understand that we cannot boast. Uh, even Paul, right? Paul, the, one of the, the greatest apostles of all time, I mean, in 2 Corinthians 10, he he's talking a little bit about the success of his ministry, but he is very careful in his wording. And he, he at the end of the day, he still gives God all his glory even when he's uh, almost instigated to, to kind of boast, right? Some, sometimes people will come up to you and say, wow, great job with this and that and this and that, and you're kind of put in a corner, but you have to be careful, right? You have to give God the glory at all times because if once you start boasting, people are going to lose respect for you, things are going to fall apart, and it's, it's not going to be a healthy environment. So be careful if that's something that you are dealing with because when God's wisdom is at work, we should have a sense of humility and a sense of submission. If we do not have a sense of of humility and submission, then it may not be God's wisdom that is at work in our hearts and in our minds as well. Next, we have deceit. And deceit is defined as the action or practice of deceiving someone by concealing or misrepresenting the truth. Psalm 101 uh, verse 7 says, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house no one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. So we know that um, in scripture, we know that Satan is the father of lies, right? He's the deceiver. Uh, that's one of the main titles that he is given. It's one of the qualities that is attributed to him first and foremost. And we know if you read the Corinthian letters, like neither idolaters, uh, immorality, deceivers, all of that, none of them will enter the kingdom of God. It's, it's a big issue, right? And I'm sure none of, none of us blatantly 
uh, I guess, intentionally try to deceive other people. It's something that typically happens as a response to a stressor or as a response to a certain pressure that we're feeling from the, I don't know, the environment, from somewhere external. I don't know what it is. And we're, and I understand that if we as Christians, we don't wake up every morning trying to deceive people. If, if you do, then you are not a believer and there are other issues that we need to address. And I hope that you surrender your life to Jesus. But for those of you who are believers and you catch yourself falling into this trap of deceit, uh, there are a couple of things I do want to mention uh, regarding that. And um, a lot of us, we think like, oh, deceit means lying, right? Just straight up blatantly lying. But we can deceive people, we can deceive our family, our friends, our, our ministry partners, our, our spouses, our, our children, our, our co-workers, our bosses, in many different ways, in five different ways, actually, which I'm going to list right now, and um, just so we can under- have a better understanding of what it means to actually deceive someone, because there are multiple ways. So the first one is just lying, right? Providing false information. That's pretty straightforward. Um, you go to a job and you lie about the experience. You say you have five years of experience where you only have two years experience. It's a blatant lie, right? I'm sure a lot of you understand and know that that's an issue and that's wrong and that's a sin. So maybe not all of us fall into that trap most of the time. So the first one is just lies. The second one is equivocations. Now, what does that mean? Basically, it means making a vague or ambiguous statement. So basically, if you're asked the question, I think in the most the most times I, I see this happening, the most frequently I see it happening is at press conferences, right? When when uh, athletes they're finished with the game, or there's there's a conflict in the locker room, or there's some struggle within uh, players or within coaches or within their their recent performances. They're asked by the reporters, like, hey, why, what's this? And the reporters are very, I mean, their their sole purpose is to get information, and they they want they want the the headline, they want the story, so they're going to ask very direct, uh, sometimes um, frustrating questions to those people who are answering them. So they'll ask the very direct questions, and the athletes who don't want to cause even more trouble within their space, within their team, their locker room, their coaches, whatever, they'll be very vague in how they respond to avoid conflict, to avoid issue. And uh, that's typically a response that they that they have. Now, for us as Christians, yes, it may be perceived as a good thing to, to be vague, to be ambiguous. Um, but if that if the ambiguity is leading the other person into thinking something that is not true, then that could be a problem, right? So if, let's say, someone asks you, like, hey, do you have a, a problem with this individual? And you and you give some vague statement like, oh, uh, you know, we just hung out yesterday, right? You're not, you're not directly lying to the person, but you're giving them the impression through an ambiguous statement that everything's okay because you hung out yesterday. Where in reality, you do have a problem with that person and you don't want to address it. Therefore, you are deceiving the person who asked you. Um, so this could be an issue. And we as believers, we can fall into this trap. I know I've fallen into it plenty of times. But a lot of times when we when we misstep and we're confronted with the the problems that we have to face, instead of 
manning up and dealing with that conflict, we use this to kind of escape it. And that's wrong. That's deception. We need to repent from that. We need to walk away from that. We need to walk in the truth. Uh, so we have lies. We have equivocations. We have the third one, concealments, right? Deception by omission. And we know that this is a sin. And we know that the Bible condemns this because literally in this very book, the book of James, it talks about sins of omission. Same thing with lies of omission. When we're leaving out certain truths, certain factors in the story intentionally to deceive someone to think something that's not true, essentially, then that's a lie. That's that's deception. We cannot do that. It's deception by omission. We're concealing certain parts of the story to, to have an escape. Now, the fourth type we have is exaggerations. You guys know what this is, stretching the truth. It's, it's the opposite of understatements, which is the next one, but exaggerations, first and foremost, Sin or not, exaggerations are annoying, guys. Make sure what your yeses are yeses, your noes are noes. Don't exaggerate all the time because it gets, you're just going to be an annoying person. People are not, I know I'm being, I'm joking right now, but uh, it's not fun to, to be around someone who always exaggerates, right? If, if every restaurant you've had is the best place you've ever been to, or this is the best this, or this is the best that, and you say that every single time, people are not going to take you seriously. And, and it's, it's, and it's annoying and, and it's, it's deception. I'm sorry to say it is deception and it's, it's stretching the truth and it's, it's not the real truth because people can't take you seriously and they're not going to know what to expect the next time you, you tell them something because they're going to, at the back, you know, at the back of their minds, they're going to be like, okay, is this person exaggerating? Are they telling the truth or is this just one of those? I don't know. So it's going to affect your credibility big time and it's pretty annoying. So stop doing that. And then lastly, we have understatements, right? The, ex the opposite of exaggerations. And this could be dangerous as well, because if you're, if there, if we have a, let's say a, a tumultuous situation and you're just playing it off as if it's nothing and those issues are not addressed, then people can be hurt. There, there could be damage that's irreparable. You know, we, ha we have to be careful to, to make sure that we're delivering every ounce of objective truth as we can because, I mean, that's that's what the Bible tells us to do. I mean, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the direct truth. It is the truth that sets us free, not exaggerations, understatements, concealments, equivocations, lies, none of these things. It is the truth, and we have to walk in the truth. We have to live in the truth. We have to be in the truth. Um so this is the list that we have for the bad fruits. I know there's a lot more, uh, but these are basically attributed to having the false wisdom of man and, and the false wisdom of the world. And I do want to sum up all of these in a story that we have in 2 Samuel chapter 1, just because I feel like it ties it all together. And um, I'm not, I'm not going to read from it directly in the interest of time, but basically what happens is uh, at the end of the previous book, Saul dies in battle along with his sons, along with Jonathan, and um, this Amalekite, the, the enemy that they were fighting, basically runs to David and delivers him the news. He says that, oh, this is what happened, and then uh, David inquires, like, okay, if Saul died, what exactly happened? And this Amalekite, uh, obviously we know that in Scripture that, fall, uh, that Saul falls on his sword uh, and basically commits suicide, but what this Amalekite did is in order to gain honor in the eyes of the future king of Israel, he tried to deceive 
David. And he basically said that uh, his story was that Saul was mortally wounded on, on, on the battlefield over there, and he was still alive, right? And as this Amalekite was walking by, Saul said, hey, uh, just put me out of my misery. Just kill me now because I, I'm, just, I'm still alive, but I'm, I'm, I forgot what something anguished him. I forgot what the exact wording was. But basically, put me out of my misery because I'm, I'm as good as dead and I, I'm still alive and I'm lingering and I'm in a lot of pain, whatever. So the Amalekite says that he uh, honored Saul's request. He killed him and then he brought his armlet and he brought the crown before David as some sort of, you know, to, to gain some sort of honor. So at first, what David does is he uh, spends the rest of the day mourning for Saul, which is which is crazy to think considering Saul really hated David towards the end of his life and tried to get him killed multiple times and, and chased him. And um, then David, uh, and, and it's funny enough, he, he approaches this Amalekite with, with, this, uh, with this question, and um, David basically says, like, hey, how is it that you were not afraid to, to destroy the Lord's anointed, to kill the Lord's anointed, which Saul was anointed at, at one point. And basically, he didn't have an answer, and, and David basically had him executed straight up. And this is what David said. He said, your blood be on your head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. So we see how, yes, Saul died. Yes, he fell on his sword. It was dishonorable. Uh, it was all these things. You see how this Amalekite tried to twist it in a way where he could benefit and we know that God is not mocked. And at the end of the day, he got himself killed because of his lies. And uh, we have to be careful, we as believers, to not fall into this trap. Obviously, this is an, an extreme example. But if we're exhibiting any of these behaviors, any of these uh, traits, these bad fruits, these, this envy, this strife, boasting, deceit, any of these things, we have to be careful because uh, it, could, it could lead to, to a, a deeper level of, of anguish, uh, more problems. It could affect our walk. It, it could affect our anointing. And uh, it will really get in the way of the ministry that God wants us to do here on this earth. So those are the evidences of false wisdom. Next, we have the evidences of true wisdom. And I will try to go through these quick. Um, they're basically out of the passage that we read in uh, verse 17 of James chapter 3, which says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, sincere. So it's basically those ones. So I'm going to go through them as quickly as I can. The first one we have is meekness, right? Now, meekness is the title of the series that we have. Right? I don't really talk about it much, but um, it was a very interesting phrase, the meekness of wisdom. And meekness is described as quiet, gentle, and easily imposed on, uh, easily imposed on, and then submissive. Matthew 5, 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Which is quite, I would say, is quite uh, ironic because typically it's the people who aren't meek who seek to inherit the earth. So it's the, it's the proud, it's the power hungry, it's these big personalities, these ambitious, self-seeking people who are pursuing to inherit the earth. But Jesus promises that those who are meek will inherit the earth, which is crazy to think. Um, I'm sure I'm sure many of you have heard this quote, but it, it goes like this. Meekness is not weakness. It is power under control. So because it don't don't take it for weakness. A lot of people in the world will will claim that you're weak because uh, you're more on the gentler side, but it can prove 
a great asset for your ministry. And uh, one of the big reasons is because meek people seek to give God the glory all the time. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people uh, have false humility that's mistaken for, for meekness, and uh, it's typically due to insecurities, right? So just because you're insecure and you don't have a high enough self-esteem to kind of hold yourself up, uh, don't mistake that for meekness. That is not meekness. Meekness is given by God. It is a, it is from the Holy Spirit. It, it is a fruit of, of healthy God-given wisdom. It is not a fruit of basically your, your own insecurity. So we have to understand that. Um, so regarding you know meekness of wisdom, meekness is right is the right use of power, and wisdom is the right use of knowledge. So basically, the attitude, which is meekness, and the action, which is uh, the wisdom, basically they go together, and every child of God should have this the 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 attitude and the action in their ministry. So first, meekness. We have to have meekness if our wisdom. Um, comes from the Lord. The next is purity, and this is a big one. Purity is defined as freedom from adulteration or contamination. Matthew five eight, blessed are the blessed are the Matthew five eight, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. In uh, verse seventeen of James chapter three, I don't know if you guys remember, it says uh, first pure, right? It talks about all these different attributes, but it mentions purity first, and it says first pure, which indicate which indicates the importance of holiness in the life of a believer. So we understand that God's wisdom leads to purity of life and man's wisdom may lead to sin, which which is uh, which could be a problem. And I do want to talk about this because uh, we, we understand. I don't have to tell you guys so many, uh, so many times about the importance of purity because you hear it all the time, but I do want to talk about contamination in our walk. So... Um, Basically, I'm, I'm, I'm going to try to explain it in a, an illustration using uh, water and water treatment plants. So, uh, I think I think there was an article about some water system in California regarding uh, I think it was tap water, but depending on the contaminant, right? Let's say it was some 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 type of acid or some type of poison or I don't know whatever it is. Um, if a certain contaminant gets in the water system. They basically have to shut it down. They have to purify it because it can be dangerous uh, to to drink, right? It, it won't be potable anymore. So what happens is uh, the way that they measure these contaminants is it's a unit of measure called, uh, there's three different types. It's parts per million, parts per billion, and parts per trillion, right? They don't use... Uh, like milliliters, just because that's that's really high. If if because when you have like a gallon of water and you have a few milliliters of of contaminant, um, at that point it's 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 really bad. So what they do is uh, there are certain chemicals, there are certain uh, poisonous solutions, or I'm I'm not sure. I, I don't re- really recall the 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 details of the article. Uh, but one of one of the things that contaminated the water, uh, it is said to, in order for it to be constituted as contaminated and needed to have one parts per trillion uh, contamination factor. And what that means is that out of one trillion drops of water, only one drop of that contaminant has to be there in order to basically not make that water drinkable or not make that water potable. And uh, it's it's a super small fraction, but it can, it can have serious damage. It can have uh, pretty bad results. So Regarding purity, uh, 
and I know I don't know if if that if that clicked for you guys, but at this point, um, regarding purity, I understand that we're 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 living every single day. And we're we're trying to be pure, but it doesn't matter if twenty three out of the twenty four hours a day are living for the Lord and and we're going strong. If that one hour, if that one minute, if that one second, we're allowing contamination to enter into our lives. Then, then there's going to be some level of pollution, Re- regardless of the extent of it. There's going to be some level of pollution, and even if it's in smaller doses, little by little, it will affect us. It will hold us down. Now, what's the solution? To be perfect? No, we we can't do that. We can't uh, we can't obtain that here in on Earth on in these unglorified bodies. But basically, what I'm trying to say is, it's it's a fight every single day. It's a fight every minute, every hour, every thought has to be taken captive. And we can only fight this by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we have to make sure that we're fleeing youthful passions, we're fleeing temptations of the flesh, and we're, we're resisting the devil. That's what the Bible says. And there are certain ways that we tackle certain issues because God designed it that way. Um, if you guys remember with Joseph and Potiphar's wife, um, you know, she tried to seduce him, he had to run away. He, he, even if he was a righteous man, I mean, he's not going to just stand there and start quoting Bible verses to her as she's like, as she's seducing him, as she's like trying to undress him. Like, no, like you, you book it, you run away, you flee from that. Doesn't matter how strong, how mature in the faith you are. Now, if you're, let's say, you're going through a tough situation and and the enemy try, tries to deceive you, like like Satan try try to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter four. What do we do? We have to make sure that we're knowledgeable of scripture. We have to make sure that we have a comprehensive understanding of what God's word has to say so that we can fight those thoughts. So what Satan will try to do is he'll try to present yourself with an appealing situation. You, through the conviction that you have, will know that that's not right, so you will not pursue it. And what Satan tries to do is he's going to try to twist it in a way to make it more presentable, to say like, hey, it's not that bad. It feels so good. You should do this. You know it's going to help you. Who cares anyway? Today was already rough for you. You already sinned earlier today. What's the harm? All these different lies for you to fall. And what you have to do then is fight it back with the word of scripture. And when you do, he will flee. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So there are so many different, there are several different ways that we can do this. And we have to make sure that first and foremost, we have a solid, comprehensive understanding of what the Bible has to say so that we can use these biblical foundational truths to fight the good fight to fight off the temptations, the passions, the enemy, uh, because as long as we're alive on this earth, we're going to have to face that. So purity is important. I know I spent some time on that. Uh, next is peaceable. So, and peaceable is defined as inclined to avoid argument or violent conflict. Um, violent conflict, right? Not all conflict. Some conflict is required. Some conflict is good. But uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of god and peace is based on holiness not compromise so like i said we're, we're not yes we try to avoid conflict if possible but if conflict is there we have to deal with it and this trait this peaceability trait is how we deal with that conflict how we show grace to the other person even if they've wronged us so that that's uh, that's how we should take it. So I'm gonna go on to the next one, just uh, just so we can wrap things up. Next we have gentleness, which in many translations we see that um, 
basically interchangeable with the word meekness, but uh, gentle, gentleness we know as uh, one of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5. And uh, very similar to peaceable, but we have to be gentle as well. We have to understand that people in our ministries, people around us in our circles may be going through certain situations and have different sensitivity levels. And we may be on the rougher side, but we have to be gentle in our approach on how we deal with them. Now, at the same time, we have to be careful that we're not pushovers and we're not weak leaders, uh, but we have to be what is called, uh, and, and, and I like uh, Carl Sandburg actually described Abraham Lincoln as a man of velvet steel, right? Like a velvet glove over a steel hand. Now, what that what that means is that the the exterior is soft, right? And and it, it's it, it's it's soft to feel and it doesn't hurt you. But if you if you need a punch, you, you got to punch, right? You got to. Now, I'm not talking literally, guys. Don't don't hit anyone. But I'm saying figuratively, you have to be tough. You have to be uh, kind of stringent and and strict with certain boundaries that you set. But the way that we address these people can be in a gentle way. So remember, remember the velvet glove on, on the steel hand, on the steel fist. So that, that, that's a good that's good imagery to have. Next we have is compliance. Um, now, not now compliance depends on the context, right? I'm not telling you to be compliant with these government regulations that are restricting religious liberties or forcing you to get some shot or whatever. No, I'm not talking about that kind of compliance. Obviously, we have certain liberties in Christ and what the Bible has to offer. And we, we can be defined in certain, in certain contexts, not, not at all times. Uh, but I'm talking about compliance when you're working with, uh, people in, in the body of Christ. So God's wisdom makes the believer agreeable and easy to live and work with where man's wisdom yields stubbornness. So if you find yourself in a situation when you're working with other believers, let's say you're on a committee, let's say you're you're planning something, and or I, I don't know, let's just say for years upon years, you always catch yourself not being a very compliant person, and you're always having conflicts with people, and you, you always want things your way. Um, this this may be something that you're struggling with. This this may be uh, an issue that you have to uh, deal with because. Uh, God's wisdom will make you agreeable and compliant, not in a way where you're sacrificing uh, the boundaries and, and your beliefs, but in a way where you can work well with others because in the body of Christ, we have to work together. And the u- unifying factor is the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is, if the same Spirit is in each and every single one of us, there should be some sort of uh, <laughs> extent of compliance in the work that we do. And if you catch yourself always disagreeing or always uh, having some issue with, with someone or always wanting things your way, um, it's best to examine yourself and to see, hey, where is my wisdom coming from? Where, where What is the source? Because I'm not exhibiting, I'm not uh, producing the fruits that I need to be producing uh, in this environment. And next we have uh, mercy. So um, obviously we see in Matthew chapter 5, uh, I've been referencing it a lot, blessed are the merciful for they shall have mercy as well. And there's a reason why in the Beatitudes, uh, we see a lot of the Beatitudes here because there's a certain blessing that comes with depending on God for for everything that we have to depend on. So um, basically, to be full of something means to be controlled by that thing. So uh, a person who follows God's wisdom, who is full of God's wisdom, is controlled by mercy. Uh, by mercy. 
We have to be merciful as God is merciful, uh, Luke chapter 6, verse 36 says. And we have to understand that when we're showing this type of mercy to someone, we can't have this thought in the back of our minds like we're trying to gain something out of it. Like, oh, that person's going to owe me one or be merciful to me later down the line. And I can I can kind of tap into that resource whenever I want because I showed him this mercy at this point in time. No, that can't, that can't be the issue or that can't be this, the circumstance. It's like the Samaritan with the Jew, right? When the Samaritan stopped to help the Jew, it's not like he was thinking like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go back into uh, Israel and try to or go back into whatever whatever city was over there and basically try to get some sort of payment from that guy. No, there, there was no association between the Samaritans and the Jews. They didn't like each other, and it's very obvious that this man was thinking like, oh, I'm probably never gonna see this person again. But he still stopped and and helped him, not thinking, oh, I'm gonna benefit from this later, but because he was merciful in that moment. And that's how we have to think. We have to be merciful in this moment, in that circumstance, when when someone needs our mercy, um, not because we are merciful is is un, like powerful or anointed or whatever, but we have to show mercy to one another because God is always merciful to us every single day, and God forgives us all every single day whenever we repent, and um, we have to be forgiving and merciful as well. Uh, next is good fruits. Um, people who are faithful are fruitful. God's wisdom does not make a life empty, but it makes a life full. So uh, from the passage, it's good fruits. And then we have decisiveness, which basically it's kind of in, in James chapter one, verse six actually kind of talks about this. It's, it's like the singleness of mind. And the opposition of this is like a wavering mind, like singleness of mind versus wavering mind. So uh, this is uh, this is interesting because I know a lot. Some people may struggle with being decisive in certain areas of life, with their career, with their schooling, with their future spouse. I don't know, um, but God's wisdom brings a singleness of mind, as I mentioned. The world's wisdom brings pressure from all sides. God's wisdom brings clarity and a singular mindset, and it helps basically helps you make that decision. So. I'm not saying every decision is going to be easy. I'm not saying that uh, answering God's call to move to the opposite side of the world and for a, for a, for mission work is easy. I'm not saying relocating your family is easy. Obviously, those are difficult decisions that you need to make. But at the end of the day, if you rely on the Lord, if you depend on God, and if you seek Him out in prayer and in the Scriptures, He will answer those prayers and He will give you the clarity of mind, not only to you but to the other people that are a part of the decision-making process. So if you're married, he will give it to you and to your spouse. It shouldn't be a, a one-sided thing, right? God will bring that clarity to both of you to make that decision for your family, regardless of how what, what the extent is of, and how extreme it could be. So we have decisiveness. It's also an important factor. And the last factor that we have uh, is sincerity. And it's the last one that is mentioned in verse 17 of James chapter 3. Um, the Greek word for hypocrite in the New Testament basically means wearing a mask. It's like it's like a, it's a, it's attributed to an actor, someone who's wearing a mask. And uh, it's interesting because so we know that when God's wisdom is at work, there is there is openness and there is honesty. And um, we have this very underrated quality that that a lot of us maybe don't have or don't practice enough. I would say, but. It's, it's transparency. And I do want to spend a couple of minutes on this because, um, I don't know, this has been a, kind of a big talking point in my life, but 
Um, transparency is so important and it is so underrated when it comes to ministry, especially when it comes to leadership. If, if you're new to the church and you kind of, obviously, yeah, you want to be transparent so people don't, uh, unless you're not like, a, so people don't think like, oh, is this person a, a wolf in sheep's clothing? Is this, per, is this person going to harm the flock? Is he a false teacher or whatever? You want to be transparent in that situation. But I would say the most important uh, position for transparency is in the leadership position because the people have to be able to trust you. They have to be able to relate to you. They have to see that you're, I mean, they have to be able to see that, hey, you're a human being too. And you're not trying to benefit from the position that you have. You're not trying to rule them, but you're trying to lead them and guide them. And a lot of people aren't transparent because one, they may be insecure with the position that they have and they feel like any any information that they let up is just a sign of weakness. Uh, some people may not be transparent because they're just insecure in their abilities and they just they they feel like if they if they open up too much people will see the the weakness in them and they won't respect them um but we have to understand that transparency not only builds trust amongst the leaders and in, in the congregants but it also uh i would say and i and i say this loosely but allows god to work in you in ways that will really edify the people around you They'll be they'll be able to see like, hey, this leader, like look 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 at him, look look how he's doing. He's honest with himself, and he's honest that he doesn't deserve this. He he doesn't do anything to have all all these qualities and these talents. But uh, God used him for this mighty work, and then at the end of the day, everyone comes together and gives glory to God. So, um, I recommend be transparent, be sincere. Don't try to hide or conceal anything for for any other ulterior motive because you may have maybe the respect of the people around you for a certain amount of time but over the course of months years decades you may you may lose some of that because you don't have that transparency and you don't have transparency and you don't have the respect that that is required to lead the congregants lead this ministry uh into in, the next level essentially so um, so that's that guys, that is the list. So the second list is the list, um, the evidences of true wisdom. The first list was the evidences of false wisdom that comes from man. And the, the list that we just finished right now is the evidences of true wisdom that comes from God. So just a short little recap. We have, uh, the evidences of false wisdom are one envy, strife, boasting, deceit, and the evidences of true wisdom, the, the qualities and attributes we should strive for and make sure we have, if we don't, is meekness, purity, peaceability, gentleness, compliance, mercy, good fruits, decisiveness, and sincerity. So what I recommend for you guys is basically go back, listen to the, uh, listen to the, to the different um, attributes if you haven't written them down already and make a checklist. Say, hey, these are the, these are the bad fruits, these are the good fruits. Which of the bad fruits do I have that I need to get rid of? And which are the good fruits that I may not have entirely that I can work on? And I'm going to be completely honest. I don't I don't have my life all put together, too. There's a lot of things that I need to work on from both lists uh, in my walk. And, and a lot of us who are listening, a lot of you guys who are listening may be in the same boat as me um, with this situation as well. There are a lot of things that we have to work on. So, um, you know... In, Invite the Holy Spirit to examine your life, your heart, to bring conviction in your heart, to see 
and, and ask God, as, as David asked God to, you know, search, search my heart, oh God, right, to, for any secret iniquity, any secret sin, uh, to forgive all of it and to bring it out to the light so that we can be conscious of it and we can deal with it as well. Because it's important for, not only for our own spiritual walk and our own spiritual health, but for the people around us who look up to us, who depend on us, and uh, it's, it's, it's really important. So that is that. Uh, we have the contrast and operations. I hope it was practical. I know it was long. I know I was kind of talking a little fast, but I didn't want to go over the hour mark. But um, I hope this was fruitful and beneficial for you guys. I hope it's something that we can take every single day. I know it's something that we have to live with every single day. It's, it's not like we learn it overnight and we're good for the rest of our lives. No, this is this is a battle, a constant battle we have to deal with and have to fight every single day of our lives uh, in our walk with the Lord. So uh, thank you guys so much for tuning in. I'm excited to wrap up the series next week. Uh, we had contrast in origins last week. We had contrast in operations this week. And the uh, next week, as the conclusion, hopefully will be the shortest episode, uh, but it'll be the contrast in outcomes, basically the results of the last two weeks. What happens at the end of the, at the, end of the day um, if our wisdom is not of God and it is of man? And we're going to look at different uh, biblical examples to, to test that. So thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next week. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Uh, on Instagram, we're at The Potter's House for any and all updates. Streaming platforms, uh, the most notable ones are Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, if you have not, live, uh, if you've not uh, left a written review yet, you can leave a written review on Apple Podcasts. You can also do a five-star rating on either Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you've done one and not the other, try to do the other one. It really helps the exposure of the show, and I really appreciate all of you guys who have done it this far, and I appreciate your prayers, your encouragement, and all of that. And I'm excited to wrap up this series and for the future as well. So thank you guys so much for tuning in and we will see you next time.